Good morning, Carpenter's Way. Once you guys get up on your feet, find somebody. If they're not making eye contact with you, that means they don't want to talk. They're introverts, so if they're not making eye contact, just avoid them. Find somebody, tell them good morning. Yeah. 
you guys will turn your attention over here to the baptism. Good morning. Hello, is the mic on? Good morning. It is great to see you this morning. Um, this morning, I had the privilege to do something. I, enjoy, I always enjoy baptisms uh, just because they're such an incredible picture. But most of the time, I had the opportunity to baptize children or youth. Uh, and this morning, I had the opportunity to baptize a friend of mine uh, who's not a child or a youth. She's, she's an adult. I'm not going to say old, but an adult. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Victoria, come on down. This is Victoria Hutto, and we've had the privilege for the last, I guess, two and a half, almost three years uh, to get to know Victoria uh, through band boosters. And uh, we have worked in many a football game and band camp, and um, my time is coming to an end. Thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> love it, but, you know, time for someone else to have the blessing. Um, Alicia and I have gotten to know Victoria and her family, and it, it has been a privilege to watch. Um, about a year ago, I had the privilege to baptize Serenity, her daughter. And uh, this morning, um, to me, this is an incredible picture of what baptism is. We always try to help people understand that baptism is not salvation, that this does not save you, that what this is is an outward expression of what God has already done in your life. Uh, Victoria made a decision to trust Christ when she was young, was baptized at 10 or 11, mm -hmm. I believe you told me. And, um, but as she has gotten a little bit older as an adult and she's experienced life, um, she went through a rough patch. And during that rough patch, she really began to realize how important her faith was and how important God was. And so this morning, this is not about salvation, but this is really about kind of rebirth and just saying, Life hasn't been perfect, life hasn't been, hasn't been easy, but God is faithful, and I want to recommit my life to Him, and I want to be an example, not only for my friends, but for my family. And so, you want to say anything? No. No, okay, well, <laughs> just thought I'd give you the chance. Um, so this morning, this really is a privilege for Alicia and I uh, to be a part of this, so thank you for letting us be a part of this. All right. Thank you. Victoria, in the name of the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you, my sister. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for friendship. We thank you for Victoria. Lord, thank you that our paths have crossed in the season of life with our kids. God, I just thank you for the work that you're doing in her heart. God, I just thank you for her obedience and walking with you in that. God, we just pray that you would help her to fix her eyes on you, Lord, in the throes of life with a elementary student, a high school student, being involved in community things. Father, that you would just shine your light so brightly through her life. And, God, that she would yield herself to you every day. Father, that you would strengthen her through your mighty power. Father, but just draw her to yourself daily, Lord, and that she would just find great comfort, great strength in that relationship with you. Uh, Father, just thank you for this day, for her family. Father, just pray that you would just um, guard and protect them. 
and help give them a desire to follow you as well. Father, I know the um, life isn't perfect and it's hard, but God, you are faithful, like Jeff said, and we just rejoice in your faithfulness today and in her life and how she's going to, um, you're going to do great things through her. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. One of the things that I am um, most blessed with to be a part of Carpenter's Way is how active so many of you are in the community, um, whether it's Junior League or Band Boosters or now Soccer Boosters for the Bonin family or other things that you're in. Um, we can kind of tell as you look around this morning, um, Chad said that if somebody doesn't look you in the eye, that, you know, that's because they don't want to talk to you. The truth is that's probably because they're a teacher. Uh, <laughs> you have been... You have been busy this week and and uh, kind of we're able to see what your nightmare looks like for the next few months and uh, we have prayed for you but I want to encourage you that that these are your mission fields and uh, too often in the church for the past 50 years I think what we've done is we've tried to bring everybody in you know put programming that meets every need and try to grab all the people and and while we want you here the, the the truth is that it's our job to prepare and equip you to get out of here to get out there in the culture in the world and some of you have nice cars and are part of car shows and some of you are part of gun clubs and fishing clubs and competitions and all that is your mission field and i want to encourage you and, and and that's what that looks like i mean what a privilege jeff and alicia to have on this family and and uh wow what a cool thing that's uh i think that's the thing that i'm most proud of at carpenter's way to be a part of is to watch you guys serve and love on people and you're doing a great job you're doing a great job keep it up it's almost over the next 60 years it'll be done uh, if you take your worship guides uh, and open them, I want to highlight a few things. If you're visiting with us, welcome to Carpenter's Way. Uh, we hope you enjoy your time this morning. We hope you're refreshed and encouraged. We're going to be in 2 Samuel, and uh, so you can start looking for that if you brought a Bible, or it'll be on the screens behind me. But uh, we want to make it clear that our hope and prayer, having had you with us today or watching on the Internet, is that you actually fall in love with Jesus Christ. Um, Carpenter's Way... Uh, can help you have an entertaining morning or an enjoyable morning or a relaxing morning in this place, but only God can save your soul. And uh, he's the only one that can make your eternity secure. So we encourage you to reach out to him because he's already reached out to you and he loves you no matter where you find yourself. Um, no matter how many churches you've tried, try Jesus this time. He loves you. So uh, if, if you have been visiting with us and you're interested in more information or you're, you're just checking us out, I would love to meet you immediately after the service. I'll be up front. I'd love to shake your hand. And, and uh, if we can encourage you spiritually, pray with you. So uh, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for watching. And even on the Internet, if you have prayer requests, feel free to shoot them in here, and we'll get a group of people praying for you and reaching out and loving on you. So a um, couple things also that, that are in this worship guide you need to be aware of. Uh, as the election comes up, we have voter registration. Uh, we are nonpartisan as a church, and we're, we're very careful with that, but we do want you to be active. We think it's part of being a good citizen of the kingdom of heaven is blessing the world. And the way you do that isn't by slamming people on Facebook, although that seems to be highly ineffective, but common, um, uh, or uh, you know, just marching on people. But if you really want to make an impact, uh, bless this culture, then it's going to be voting your biblical values. And uh, so Sharon Kennedy, who is a voter uh, registrar, has been willing the last few weeks to put up a, uh, a little booth or a, a little table up there in the welcome area and immediately following service. If you're not registered or if you need to change address, we've had five or six people do that. Make sure you make your way to that table and uh, she'll be glad to help you to uh, take care of that. 
Uh, Carpenter's Way, folks, uh, we are in that time of the year. We're actually putting stuff together for next year's business. Uh, our new officers for deacons and elders, it's time for you to make nominations. So in your worship guide, there's a white insert. On the back, it tells you who is presently on those deacon and elder teams. And on the front, it tells you uh, you can nominate people. Um, they must be a member of Carpenter's Way and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that pretty much, that's pretty much the qualification. So if you would like, if you can think of somebody that would serve well on the elder, we're looking for one elder, one mission investment team member, one finance team member. If you know of somebody that's qualified, you can put their name down over the next couple of weeks and put it in the worship, uh, offering plate as it comes by or even hand it to an elder or deacon or myself and uh, or drop it in that offering box as you leave. We'll be uh, careful to take them in nomination and prayer, prayerfully consider their name. So what happens is in a few weeks, the elders take all the nominations that have been made, and uh, then we pray over them, and we discuss them. And uh, if there's one position, we choose on two that have been nominated, uh, and then we go to those people and ask them to take a week to pray about it. And uh, the Lord raises up the one he wants, and then we present them to you at the annual business meeting in the middle of November. So that process begins, and you're, you're, the, you're the foundation of that process. This is not an old boys network. Uh, we do uh, allow women deacons. We think that's very biblical. Um, so if you're new to Carpenter's Way, please be active, involved in that. If you know of somebody who's a member and are godly and fit one of those uh, things. So uh, with that left, I encourage you to read, uh, read the worship guide. There's things in there for you to see. And I'm going to ask our ushers at this time to come forward as we prepare for our offering. For those of you visiting, let me explain what this is. This is how we finance not only Carpenter's Way, but we support, um, by way of tens of thousands of dollars, the uh, International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convic Convention. There's about 6,000 missionaries globally that uh, evangelize and plant churches all over the world. Um, and uh, so we support that financially so that those guys can do their work. Uh, and then also we have 14 or 15 mission organizations. Um, one of our deacon teams that we're, there's one nomination for uh, is our Mission Investment Fund. They uh, oversee um, about, I think it comes to about 10% of our budget. They oversee that, and that is to uh, 15 or 16 different ministries and missionaries that we support individually as a church as well. Uh, so that's where the money goes. Having said that, this is for those who attend here regularly. If, this is, uh, if you're visiting this morning, we don't want you caught up in this. Uh, don't be distracted by money. This is our, our way of worshiping the Lord as a family. We don't want you distracted. We're just glad you're here. So just pass the plate as it comes by. And thanks again for being with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this comfortable place this morning. We thank you, Father, that we could participate and witness this young lady saying, I'm going to follow God. Thank you for saving her at a young age, Father. Thank you that even at this age, she, wants to, she was surrendering her life, her control of her life to you. And we pray you would bless that decision. We pray, Father, that we as a church would support her, that we would support Jeff and Alicia as they continue to work in the school system with the band and the soccer teams, that we would support the teachers in this community, administrators, that we would support each other, those who are homeschooling. Father, those who are working in... Uh, in this community, those, those who stay home and take care of their families. Lord Jesus, may we be a community that supports each other as they go out and fulfill their mission task in this community. May we be faithful to that task. May we see you as the author of that task and the empowerment of that task. And Lord, as we gather together and we get into your word, I pray that your word would not return void. Uh, there's going to be a lot of my opinions and what's shared this morning. I pray that those would be uh, just moved to the side and that the truths of God would endure forever. We, we love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. And now we turn our face completely back to worshiping you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. this you're more than welcome from heaven's throne you came to us and set your heart upon the cross we'll never know the sacrifice you Your name, Jesus, over all. 
But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Leave that scripture up there just for a second. That last part. That verse 7. Just read that. Just let it kind of sink in a little bit.
Oh, I got 
watching on the internet and you're listening to us sing songs of resting in the Lord and you know <clears throat> uh, church has become religion Christian religion has become a lot of big business and competition and trying to grow your church let, let me be clear none of that matters unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that that that's what matters that knowing for yourself that he has declared you righteous because of the blood of his son Jesus Christ that is the most important thing this morning that you get your mind around. And uh, if you are new to the body of Christ, if you're visiting today with a friend, if you're just checking us out and you are tired of just calling on God when your life is a mess, if you want to have him as your dad, if you want him to adopt you, if you want him to forgive your sin, all you have to do is call in the name of the Lord. Confess your sin, just confess. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus and Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we want you to know that uh, we, we don't want you worrying about Carpenter's Way. We can worry about that later. We want you to know our dad. We want you to know Jesus Christ. We want you to know peace with God. And that right where you're sitting this morning, in your living room, in this room, you just tell him you know you're a sinner and he's the only one that can save you and the relationship immediately begins. If you're searching and you want to know what the Bible says about it and you're too shy to talk with us, look, you shouldn't trust us anyway. Up at the front, we have these, these little booklets here. They're actually all over the building. 
But it says, uh, would you like to know God personally? And it's just Scripture. How to have a relationship with God. What the Bible says. If you don't own a Bible, we'll give you one. We want you to know God. Then we'll introduce you to Carpenter's Way. But we want to keep everything in its order. You, you need Jesus. Jesus is a solution to every problem. He may not fix our politics, but he will fix your soul. And what the only thing that will matter 100 years from now is Jesus Christ. It's, it's true. Ask the person you came with. Ask the person around you. And if you come in here this morning and you see somebody that's a bad example of Christ, that's why they're here. They need Jesus. We're not asking you to, to attach yourself to a person you don't like or a church you don't like. We want you to attach yourself to Jesus Christ. And, 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 and that's the most important thing. Um, we are, each week, we gather as His kids, predominantly His children, we gather together to get into His Word. Uh, we gather multiple times, but on Sunday morning is the one time where uh, I, as the preaching uh, elder, share with you from God's Word what the Lord has been teaching me. And we go pre uh, predominantly, like 99% of the time, it always changes every week, but, but like uh, most of the time we go through a book. And we take that book down and we go through it verse by verse, or story by story is probably more accurate. And we've been going, we started uh, about 16 years ago, we started the book of Ruth. And then we went to 1 Samuel, and now we're in 2 Samuel. And last week we got through four chapters. You didn't think I could do that. That's how good I really am. <laughs> but this week we're going to get through chapter 5. And it's, uh, well, let, let me bring you up to speed for those who haven't been with us. Um, I'd, like you to, I'd like to begin by reading what Warren Wearsby, uh, the great pastor and preacher, had to say about David, God's chosen anointed king of Israel, uh, from his book entitled, be restored. He said, what a remarkable and varied life David lived. As a shepherd, he killed a lion and a bear, and these victories prepared him to kill the giant Goliath. David served as an attendant to King Saul and became the beloved friend of Saul's son, Jonathan. For perhaps 10 years, David was in exile in the wilderness of Judea, hiding from Saul and learning to trust the Lord more and more. He had patiently waited for the Lord to give him the promised throne until finally the time had come. It was through faith and patience that God's people inherit what he has promised. David had trusted God in the most difficult of circumstances. David now would inherit a divided people. But with God's help, he would unite them and build Israel into a strong and powerful kingdom. The next few chapters of 2 Samuel show us how David took this divided kingdom that for 17 and a half years, uh, all but one tribe. For 17 and a half years, these tribes chased David under the, uh, under the leadership of Saul to kill him. 17 and a half years. I want you to think about how long that is. 17 and a half years, David is, is being chased by these people. At about 10 years uh, in the wilderness, and about seven and a half when he becomes the king of Judah, and, uh, and, and the, the rest of the 11 uh, tribes fight against him. In the next couple weeks, we're going to watch David be tasked by the Lord, and that was his task, to unite the 12 tribes of Israel, to retake the land that Saul had lost in the battle with the Philistines, and to spiritually reestablish them. The next two chapters are super relevant to us, and that's going to be the next two weeks, are really relevant to us in Texas here in 2018, and I'll tell you why. Most Sundays, you will hear me begging you to seed righteousness, because if you choose, even as a child of God, to live in the flesh, which many do, you will harvest that. 
Uh, it will affect your children. It will affect your work. It will affect your reputation, your ability to minister. It doesn't affect your relationship with God because that is secure in the blood of Christ and the sealing of the Holy Spirit according to Ephesians chapter 1. But it does affect everything else in your life. And it even affects a level of intimacy and peace with God that only can be had when we submit to Him. The question is, though, what happens to those within the church who feel shame over choices that they've made and now, with lives decimated by the consequences of those de decisions, often even because of the preaching, feel too far gone to experience the joy and peace and reconciliation that those who haven't made the big mistakes experience. What about those of you? What about those of you who don't feel you have a place here? Well, this is good news for you. Because the nation of Israel, I assure you, is in about 150 times worse shape than you could ever possibly be in your life at this point. I'd like to begin this morning by saying that Jesus Christ only heals clean people. Actually, clean people don't need healing because there are no clean people. There are elements, uh, uh, decisions we make. The Bible talks about sins against the flesh that are more devastating to a life. But I'm here to tell you that God even heals those. His mercy and His grace is free. Good health in your body and in your homes and in the Hebrew nation are not free. They're not free. And you're going to see this morning the cost. 2 Samuel 5 verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, we are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the only one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. Man, the significance of this statement by the other 11 tribes, okay? The other 11 tribes that have wanted to kill him for the last 17 and a half years, this is them coming to him. This is significant. According to 1 Chronicles chapter 12, this is the gathering of elders and tribal leaders from each of the other 11, 11 tribes who had rejected David after Saul died and chased him while Saul was still alive. According to 1 Chronicles, this represented, this group represents about 341,000 people. Kind of changes the way you think. 341,000 people come to David and they tell him something that's insane. They tell him that as a group, they knew all along, even while they were warring against him, that he was God's anointed one. That God had said he would be the king, but they still, because of pride, rejected him. They fought against David for 17 and a half years simply because of their pride. They fought against God's will for that 17 and a half years because of pride. And I want to say again what I said last week. And this is true for you and I as it was for David, or I want to say Jonah, that our free will and our rebellion against God's plan may cause pain for us. And it may delay what God wants to do, but it won't stop it. Your free will and your indulging in your flesh may affect, may affect your involvement, but it does not affect God's plan. And that is a powerful and encouraging truth. And if you doubt this, ask Jonah, who clearly, in all of the characters in Scripture, is a picture of a guy who got in a boat to go the opposite way when God wanted him to minister in a place he didn't want to minister to. I want to begin this morning by asking you where your pride 
is keeping you from doing the right thing by God and your family. Because for 11 tribes of Israel who knew God, who kept the festivals during this time, who claimed to be right with God, their pride kept them for 17 and a half years anointing a man that they just declared God's man. And knowing he was God's man, that's pretty remarkable. It just sounds too familiar. Verse 3. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years in all. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months, and from Jerusalem he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. At this point, based upon most messages you'll hear, it's the end of the story. God comes down from heaven and sends his angels and he puts a nice little halo around these people and everything's clean, everything's done. They're wealthy beyond belief and they never lose another battle. But that's not true. That's not true. This nation, although repentant now and and trying to right themselves with God and God heard from them and God begins to restore the land, this nation still had been defeated by the Philistines and had lost their God-ordained land. They still had no place that was safe that they could call their own from which the Philistines couldn't attack. They may want everything to be good at that second, but just as it wasn't here in the States after the Civil War, and that's what's been going on for the last seven and a half years, this was outright civil war, and that's what we looked at in the four chapters last week. This nation isn't, hasn't, hasn't righted itself. It's only made itself right with God. There is much work that would have to be done, painful, hard, courageous work, and trust that God and his leader David would keep their promise to them. Now, just so you know, when this happens, David is still leading from the tribe of Judah's territory, a small corner of the kingdom. Brothers and one-time friends who resented each other and tried to kill each other over the past seven years, still don't like each other. They're still mistrusting each other. So there's a lot of work to be done, and God is asking David to do it. That's his task. Verse 6, David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who are living there. The Jebusites taunted David, saying, you'll never get in here. Even the blind and lame could keep you out. But the Jebusites thought they were safe. So let me, just, uh, let me just give you a couple, uh, uh, an idea of what's happening here. So the nation has repented. The nation have now submitted. All, 11, or le- or all 12 tribes are now submitting themselves to the authority of David. That doesn't mean everybody within the 12 tribes is respectful of him. There's a lot of stuff that has to be done. Uh, the 11 tribes that are, that are known as the northern kingdom, they don't trust the southern kingdom. Lots of infighting. Lots of mistrust. And, and uh, David is still ruling the kingdom now from Judean territory when he decides to take on or, or move the throne, move the place that he would rule from into the middle of the kingdom. The dividing line between the northern and southern kingdom was what we now know as the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was <clears throat> uh, right on the edge of the northern 11 tribes. And it was near that area that Saul's son and Abner had been leading the nation but had not taken Jerusalem, the city. It's a small city, about 12 miles, and it's long and thin, 12 acres, 12 acres. To give you an idea how big that is, 12 acres is the site of Carpenter's Way property. We are just around 11 acres, so you add an acre. That's how small it is. It's smaller, the city of Jerusalem is actually smaller than ETEC and Carpenter's Way's parking lot. 
It's a small city. When we think of Jerusalem, we think of modern Jerusalem. We think of what David, God will use David to make it. But at this time, it was a city under the rule of, of Canaanites. The Jebusites were Canaanites who hated the Jews and mocked them. And it was really a very well-protected city. In fact, that's why the Jebusites said, even the blind and the lame can't take us. There's no way they could get into the city. David, just to give you an idea, because you know about the city of Jerusalem, David, who is about to take this city, has no idea that it will become the crown jewel of the promised land. He just knows that this is the location where he should set up his kingdom where he should set up his throne because everybody would recognize it. It was middle territory. The point of choosing it was unification. Now, to be clear, God had promised under, uh, in the Torah that he would establish a city where they would reign. But nobody had any idea what that city was. David chose Jerusalem, and he would rule from there for the next 33 years, and Solomon, his son, would take over there, and he would rule, and he would build the temple there. Remember, it wasn't David that built the temple. David wants to build the temple, but God doesn't allow him. It's his son Solomon that builds the first temple. This is the same city where Jesus will be crucified and resurrected. This is the city that one day Jesus will return to through the eastern gate and take a seat on the throne of David and will rule for a thousand years during what we know as the millennial kingdom. This is the city that will be the namesake of the new heaven that we will live in one day called the New Jerusalem. Although I'm certain that David knew that this was an important place for him to establish a new day for this new kingdom, this newly minted kingdom, I'm also sure that he had no idea how, how important this city was. And this is important for those of, of you who know the Lord. Because most of the time when we're going about our business, we have no idea what God is really, really doing. We have no idea. And what that has caused us to do is it's caused us to evaluate our effectiveness and God's use of a, usefulness of us based upon what we can see, not based upon faith that God's got something else going on. When David and his men arrive in Jerusalem, I already told you, it's, uh, they, they find the city uh, filled with Canaanites on 12 very well-protected acres of land. Verse 7. But David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of God. On the day of his attack, David said to his troops, I hate those lame and blind Jebusites. Whoever attacks them should strike by going into the city through the water tunnel. That is the origin of the saying, the blind and the lame may not enter the house. If you grew up singing songs about Zion, or if you like country quartet music, they seem to obsess over Zion. This is the origin of that name. Uh, the Hebrews have no idea what the word Zion means. It's not a special name, except that this was the most fortified wall of the original city of Jerusalem. It was originally called the Fortress of Zion. That's what Jerusalem's name was when the Jebusites ruled there. After David takes it, its name changes to the city of David. Kind of interesting. While the Jebusites mocked David and his men, saying that even the blind and crippled could defend the city against David and his army, David used their words as a war cry. Men, this is Braveheart's moment. Remember when he's blue, he's blue and white? And I, some of the ladies are going, I watched that movie. And remember, he gets on his horse and he rides in front of him, gives him marching orders. That's what David is doing here. And what David says in his, in his, uh, his, his military speech 
is I hate the blind and the lame in that town. He's not talking about the crippled people, but he's saying, they said even the, blame, uh, the blind and the lame could, uh, could defend them against us. Well, now I'm declaring them all blind and lame. Let's go. It was a war cry. To be clear, no matter what you want David to be, the poet, you know, the image of the Roman caricatures that are the statues, David was a warrior. He was a warrior. And I, need, I, th I think I want to, I'm going to sidebar for a second because our culture is attacking this. Masculinity is a beautiful thing. It's a gift, you guys. Masculinity, somebody just went, can masculinity be beautiful? Relax. Yes. It is a God-given thing. It's not a mistake. It's not the result of culture any more than femininity is. It's a gift to a family. It's a gift to a community. It's a gift to a nation. And I just want to say that whatever God has made you, and some of you are scary masculine, because I'm from California and we lose a lot of our masculinity growing up there. <laughs> Let me just say that God made you like that. And too often in the church, we're trying to cut your hair and make you look like whatever. You are not supposed to look like whatever. You are supposed to look like you. God created you as you are for the task that he is giving you to accomplish. David was a man of war who grew up as a little boy fighting bears and dogs who would attack his sheep because he would have to be a warrior king. That was God's creation. Ladies, you are feminine because God made you feminine. For some of you who are not so feminine, God made you uniquely powerful. Texas women are scary strong. Part of its culture. But God placed you here. Do not let Hollywood, New York, movies, the sensitivities of our culture make you regret being what God made you. And every one of us have weaknesses. And you're going to see David's in a moment. Every strength has a weakness. But your strengths are exactly what God wanted you to have for the task he's giving you. Just like David. Do you understand? Masculinity is under attack today. It will be a woman's world in the next 20 years, no matter how much you fight. It will be. But the church should stand strong on who God made us, not who culture says we should be. Got it? About eight of you gets it. get it. Let me say it one more time until you all get it. You are not a mistake. You are not an over-testosterone group of people. You are not anti-women. You are God's men. Let him refine you into the person he wants you to be. Do not use your masculinity to be abusive. That's unacceptable. Ladies, be a woman. Be the woman God created you to be. Be strong or gentle. As Jesus said about uh, the, 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 the believers in Laodicea, some of us are going to be hot pools of water that are used to, to calm muscles that are tired, to spur people on. Some of us are going to be cool pools of refreshment. Both are usable to the king. Both are created by the king for our task. David had blood on his fingers because he was a warrior. God made him that. And aren't we thankful? I'm thankful. The rest of you are sleeping because you're teachers. This is super important because you are under attack. While the Jebusites mock David and his men, saying that even the blind and crippled, David goes in and they attack. 
Chronicles tells us that David told his warriors that the man who could figure out how to, in, how to get through the walls of the city, the man who did that, he would be rewarded as the number one general of David's new national army. Chronicles tells us that the guy who did that is Joab. In early 1900, this was discovered on the ancient city of Jerusalem. Would you put that picture up? I know it looks like a colon. That's not. It's not a colon. You can tell I'm 51. I know what a colon looks like now. This was found underneath the city of Jerusalem. It goes from one side to the other. When the city was owned by the Jebusites, and somebody asked me this morning in our meeting, how do I know that that's the one that Joab went through? Because there's actually a scribble on the wall in Hebrew that says, Joab was here, follow me this way with a little arrow. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of cool. I mean, that's not new. There's some graffiti from other Hebrew guys. But, but the, the thing is, this goes, from, this goes through the middle of the ancient city, the 12-acre city. And this was how, when they locked the walls, they could endure there for many, many months, if not years, because there was fresh water going in. Joab, apparently, according to Chronicles, figured out that he could take a group of men through there, followers of his, uh, uh, prepared and mighty warriors, and they could go through that cave, walking through it. It's bigger than it appears in that picture. That's the large intestine. So, I'm sorry. I've been thinking about that all week. I know. But, but he, they could actually walk through there. They would sneak through. And what happens is they open the gates and the rest of the army comes in and they defeat them. The cripple and blind, as he calls them. There it is. I want you to look at that picture because it's natural. It was not dug out. It wasn't created. When God made the world, when the floods receded, he put this hole in the middle of a desert in a city that didn't exist. Because at the exact right moment, David would need a way into that town. And as I was thinking about that, that this week, I want to tell you, I want you to know that the God of the universe is already working around you, in you, through you, and in ways you can't possibly fathom. The Jews were already supposed to have taken this town. And the 11 kingdoms, the 11, uh, the 11 tribes, not kingdoms, the 11 tribes that made up the northern kingdom that was against David for the seven and a half years refused to take this town and direct opposition to God taking it. And look, he had already made a path just like the Red Sea that was there for them to take the town, but they refused to do it. And I want to remind you this morning, brothers and sisters, that you may feel unusable, you may feel ineffective. Some of you found out that you have a class full of demon-possessed children, that, that you believe in exorcisms for the first time in your life, or maybe you're a, a school administrator and you're finding out that half of your staff is demon-possessed. I want you to know that you have no idea what God is doing. You are tasked with the responsibility of doing the best you can to obey Him and to fix it. But the truth is, God is working before you, after you, and around you since the world was formed, since the flood receded. And these kind of holes are there for exactly the right time God wants you to invade. And it may not be you that gets to have the victory over the Jerusalems in your life, but He will use you to prepare the path for the next one. Do you understand? Too often, this, this culture and the culture of the church has made it all about you. All about you. You don't want to disappoint God by not being faithful. You don't want this. You don't want that. And I'm here to tell you, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about God. And whether your life is a happy experience or a difficult experience, or there's more difficulty in, than, than there is happiness, I'm here to tell you that God is still faithful. And He's still working. Stay true to your task. Stay obedient to the Lord because David's life, David's life was difficult. 
It was painful. For 17 and a half years, just because he was the anointed king, he is being chased and living in caves simply because these people's pride wouldn't let him bow the knee to anybody but Saul. That's why. But God didn't give up. God's plan was still in place. God knew that this city would be David's city. Your story may feel like it's about you and your life experience and choices. But I want you to understand that if you're God's child, He has orchestrated your things to accomplish His big, huge, wonderful, eternity-altering plan. And I think of Carpenter's Way. And honestly, just for a second, I want to be honest with you. It's just a humble, fairly large church. But we're a humble place. We don't have flashy signs. You don't have a flashy pastor, although he's relatively handsome. I mean, you, we're just... But I want you to know that this... Did you just amen that? I too have demon-possessed members of my congregation. I, I, I just want to tell you that in all the humbling, in all, the, in all of the non-flash and no steeple and not beautiful whatever, I want you to know that this summer there were 30 children that came to know Jesus Christ because of the ministries of this church. And on top of that, we saw how many in Brazil? Three or four? Came to know the Lord? And, and, and I mean, you guys... And these are the ones we know about. God has a plan for us as we are, not as as we could be. He has a plan for us as we are. With cigarette burns in the chairs, which I have no idea how they got there. I mean, it's it's just reality. God uses us if we're available to Him. That's who we are. That's who you are. God uses people. He will use you. And even if you're here this morning wondering if you've sinned so much, I could never be like them. I want you to see this nation, how messed up it is. This is a civil... This makes the American reunification, the United States of America after the Civil War, look like nothing. They had no land. And David leads them. Verse 9. So David made the fortress his home, and he called the, the, uh, it the city of David. He extended the city. So now we're going beyond the 12 uh, acres to what you know as Jerusalem. He extended the city, starting at the supporting terraces and working inward. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. Those who worship David only worship him because they have never studied him. I'll show you why I say that in a moment. Verse 11, Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David along with the cedar timber and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built David a palace. And David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king over Israel and had blessed his kingdom for the sake of of his people Israel. And as you read it, you go, wow, what a great year in David's kingdom. But the truth is, these verses, these first 12 verses of this chapter actually represent 20 years of his 33-year king over uh, the United Nation of the Hebrews. 20 of 33 years. It told us at the beginning of this chapter that for 33 years, David would reign as king over the whole of the nation. This represents 20 of those years. You might be going, how long, O Lord? And the answer is, have you hit 20 years of the struggle yet? A little bit more. That's how long it took David. At this time in history, however, although David knew that God had promised so much more for the Hebrew nation in the future, 
He had heard the promises God made to Abraham. He had read the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. He knew God would reveal himself to the world. All David really thought he was doing was building a place where he could unite this kingdom and honor God by making them a covenant people in a right relationship with God. And even the king of Tyre recognized it and once part of it. But aren't you glad God is sovereign? Because it is in this location, even despite David's ignorance to it, that our Savior would be killed and resurrected. David was planting the foundations of our salvation without even knowing it. David, in all of his wildness though, and that's a new adjective I'm making up, wildness, isn't perfect. Look at the next couple verses. 13. After moving from Hebron to Jerusalem... David married more concubines and wives, and they had more sons and daughters. These are the name of David's sons who were born in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ebhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia. Obviously, they couldn't think of Mark or Steve or Dan. Elishama, Eliada, Elphalet. <laughs> so... Let me shock some of you who haven't heard me say this before. No matter what you were taught in Sunday school, the Bible never, ever forbids plural wives, except for the elders of a church, husband of one wife. Some of you are thinking right now, well, I was taught that it was forbidden from the king. That's not true. The king was forbidden from having many wives. That's the list. David is getting dangerously close at this point because in the last chapter we knew he already had six wives and now we're finding out that he is dangerously close to having many wives. I want to point out that in all of his faithfulness, in all of his wildness, David is now planting during this 20-year period where he keeps marrying others in order to bring unification. These are women that are found in each of the 11 tribes, the other 11. He's marrying them to cause peace treaties among all of them. It is hard for the leader of a tribe to attack David if he's married to his daughter. That was the thinking. So while David is doing his worldly best, he is also planting the seeds of his destruction in the future. Because what will be his downfall in the future is David's family will, will go out of control and he will not lead them. You see, the truth is, if you look at David's kingdom, although he did much good, he wasn't a great king and he was even a worse dad. And God still used him. God still used him. But in this moment, when he's doing everything right, as much as we respect David, and he shows us what it looks like to serve God and trust him courageously, he doesn't keep himself pure and faithful, and it begins, his downfall actually begins in these, in these verses right here. Back to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told, so this goes back a few years. So at the end of that previous section, we have David ruling out of Jerusalem and the king of Tyre coming along and helping him build the city beyond the walls. We go back to right after the unification. Right after they bow to David, the other 11 tribes, the Philistines, when they hear that, they decide to attack. But David was told that they were coming. So he went into the stronghold. The Philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Rephaim. So David asked the Lord, should I go out and fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. So David went to Baal-perazim and defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. 
He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named the place Baal Perazim, which means the Lord who, who burst through. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there, so David and his men confiscated them. We believe he destroyed them at that point. Verse 22. But after a while, the Philistines returned and again spread out through the valley of Rephaim. And David again asked the Lord what to do. Do not attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Oh, that's different. Last time they were to attack. This time God has a different war plan for them. Instead, circle around behind the attack and near the, uh, near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet on the top of poplar trees, be on alert. Supernatural. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. Can you think of another time that God will go ahead of the nation of Israel's military to defeat their enemies? Come on, my prophetic friends. The battle of Armageddon. So David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. The Philistines loved David when he was their warrior. They even liked him an awful lot when he was the king of only one tribe. Because the other 11 tribes that were fighting during the Civil War, those were the enemies of the Philistines. So as long as David was fighting their enemies, they liked him. But as soon as he became the king of the, nation, of the whole nation, of all 12 tribes, now he becomes a problem for the Philistines, and that's why they attacked him and lose. David, the Philistine fighter, leads the United Nation into two battles against the Philistines, having sought the Lord in both cases. Now get this. David doesn't just do some sort of a genuflect or just a religious activity in seeking the Lord. He actually seeks the Lord's direction. How do we know that? Because he, God gives him different ways of fighting in those two battles. One, God is going to use purely the human might of the, uh, of the Israeli army. But the second time, the battle is almost completely won when he wants them. He wants them to stay back until his army has, has been heard first through the marching, through the rushing sound of the trees, and then he can attack. And God, uh, God, God's power through David is to defeat them. These pre-Jerusalem wars saw David return as the great warrior leader of the Hebrew tribes while returning all the land. Remember, it ends with the, telling you what was defeated. It tells us that he actually takes back all the land that, God, that had been taken from them uh, in the Philistine wars when Saul was killed. Stick with me. I'm about to make this important. God masters at doing more than one thing at a time. While David is worried about the nation and bringing them back into a right covenant relationship with God, God is actually setting up the coming of his Messiah and our redemption. This is about God fulfilling his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to bless the nations of the world. I want to put this story in perspective for you. This is what it looks like to be in the middle of a mess and lead your family or your country back into unity and health by God's power. I've already told you this morning, and, and, and this is when I really want you to concentrate. I talk a lot about making wise choices. We talk a lot about the consequences of unwise choices, even for the child of God. I make jokes like, God is merciful and gracious. Your wife is not if you have an affair. Right? Or your husband. We talk a lot about if you put heroin in your veins, just because you repent doesn't mean the desire for heroin goes away. The problem with meth is once you've used it, you need it. That's the problem. And in most cases, short of a supernatural miracle, just because you give your life to Christ doesn't make the desire to go away. 
whatever your sexual orientation, whatever your desires, the truth is the flesh rages with desire that doesn't please God. Jesus was clear. If you want to be my follower, you're going to have to put your selfish ambition aside, pick up your cross and follow me. The nation of Israel had invested many, 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 many years in rejecting God's plan. And there was a cost. The cost was this, this mess we've been studying week after week. This mess, this mess that had hurt David. The fact that he had to run for his life for all those years. The fact that the nation didn't come to him right away when he becomes the king of Judah. We talk a lot about how a man, uh, what a man reaps he sows. And I beg you, as I've said, to sow righteousness. I know that some of you are thinking, as you sit in the midst of the sowing a harvest of pain and destruction, there must be no hope for you. You've gone too far. You're stuck. You're just going to rest on His grace because you'll, you never have any hope in this life. And this story says you have lots of hope. This story says that there's hope. It's exactly where the nation was when Saul dies. In fact, I would argue that in all the counseling I've ever done, and I've done some gnarly counseling, I've never seen anybody in worse shape than this nation was when they surrendered to David. I want to remind you that there was 341,000 of the elders of the other 11 tribes that approached David and say, we were wrong, you be our king. In fact, when Saul was our king, he wasn't even fighting for us. You were the only one fighting for us. That's what they said to David. They knew they were in rebellion. And you might be sitting here going, well, I knew what I was doing. I knew I screwed it up. I knew it all along. So I am going to have to live with the pain that I have created. And while some scars never go away, this is a model of what it looks like. This story, this text, is what it looks like when, there, when we are in the middle of a self-created mess and we turn to God. The story shows us how David did that. How God is not only a God of forgiveness and grace, but also reconciliation. We'll finish it next week, but I want to point out four things that David seems to do that I think are practical you can do in your life. Because some of you here, as I watch your life, and we talk, and I pray for you, even from afar, if you don't know that I know, I watch you living in a mess that's been created by your doing. And I watch your discouragement, and I, wa I, I watch you somewhere between pride. I'm not going to put up with that, and oh, what a mess I've made. Well, if you look at the four things David does here, they're doable for you. Number one, repent and turn back to God. Turn back to God. And I mean on his terms. Repent and turn back to God. Repenting is not the same of being sorry. It's not the same. I, I refer you again to Tiger Woods. He's a Buddhist. He doesn't believe in right and wrong until his wife found out he had had 21 affairs. Now he believes in right and wrong. There's a difference between sorrow of being caught and repentant. Repentance is admitting what you've done and turning and walking the opposite way. It begins with you turning back to God. Then after, in this story, after fasting and repenting, the tribe of Judah come to David and ask him to be the king. Not the other 11. They might have been sorry for the thing, mess that they were in, but they were not repentant. I don't know what it is for you, but you have to be more than sorry in order to right your ship. Sorry isn't enough, my friends. Everybody's sorry when their life blows up. Repentant. It's a courageous move to, to right the wrong that's been wrong. If it involves other people, you right it. If it involves your kids, you right it. What's that look like, Pastor? Admitting your sin. Sitting down with your kids and saying, this is the sin of my flesh. This is what I've done. 
You do not have to lay your dirty laundry out before your five-year-old kid. But if you want to raise godly kids who revere the ordinances of God, you show them what it looks like to not obey them and how painful it is. Are you in the middle of an ugly divorce? Have you just gotten divorced? Don't blame your wife. Admit what you did. Because as long as you blame other people for the circumstances you're in, there's no healing. I know that's tough. But that's exactly what David and these people do. Secondly, you invite your people to join you in making God your Lord. Do you remember after the, uh, in last week's text, you remember that the, uh, the, the uh, tribe of Judah immediately make David their king. They had been in relationship with David for a long time, if you remember back to the cave-dwelling days. But David immediately finds out that the, that the mighty warriors of Jabesh-Gilead had actually taken Saul and honored his death, and he goes to them, and he he humbles himself to the place where he actually begs these people who wanted him dead to follow his leadership. You see, being God's leader, being God's reconciler, means that it's going to take humility and courage. You may have to beg some people that you don't want to beg. That's exactly what David did. He humbled himself and he asked the people of Jabesh Gilead to join the people of Judea and let him be their ruler. If you've lost your kids, don't give up. They're still your kids. That's your kingdom. Mom, single mom, fight for your kids. Don't just yell at them. Don't just instruct them. Don't just tell them what to do. Tell them why. Sit with them. Talk with them. It starts with your repentance. You tell your kid, that kid you're living with that knows your weakness, you tell them, let me tell you why you are how you are. Because of me. I'm how you are. And it's taken me 51 years to realize it doesn't work doing it on your own. God has a plan. And I am an example of what it looks like. I've lost your father. I've lost this. And you go through the story, and then you tell your kid, I'm begging with you. Don't follow me. Follow God as I, and follow me as I follow God. That's what it looks like to beg people. That's what David did. Thirdly, be wise and courageous. What do I mean by that? Seek the Lord and take on your enemies and your demons. Take on your demons. If you are addicted to drugs, go to AA. I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to tell you something because I think it's important that I throw it out there. I'm not trying to embarrass you if you fit into this group, okay? But in my years at Carpenter's Way, over the years, I've had a couple dozen people come and tell me that they're struggling with alcohol. And in every case, after we pray together, I send them to AA. And in almost every case, and I want to say every case, but there will be an exception. They come back to me and tell me they're not like those people. I don't need them. To which I say, you have more learning to do. Because the only difference between you, my friend, and them is your teeth haven't rotten yet. You know what I was saying, right? You know what they're saying. Those people. And invariably, they end up back. Be wise and courageous. Seek the Lord and take on your demons. If it's drugs, do what it takes to get over them, including rehab. The church keeps telling you that all it takes is prayer and scripture. That may be the case, but that's supernatural healing, and it happens. Sometimes God wants to teach you a lesson by making you fight your flesh. 
That seems to be the most common experience I have with people. Why? Because in that, the people that saw you screwing your life up, watch your courage. And then they want to know your God. You see, no matter what people tell you, this isn't the mission field. That is. And God is so good at doing things at the exact same moment in stereo, like that cave that looked like a colon. God is so good at working in stereo that while you're battling for God, while you're surrendering yourself to God, people are watching you and they're asking themselves if God can be trusted. And if you trust Him with your life and your family, they themselves might trust God with their life and their family. You are the example of not only grace and mercy, but reconciliation. That takes work and courage. Seek the Lord and take on your enemies and your demons that in the past you have made your friends. I'm going to add to that list because about 90% of you, it's not drugs and alcohol for me. If it's another man or woman, cut it off. Stop it. You know you should. And if you don't, you're just like the other 11 tribes who knew that David should be their king. If you're flirting with somebody on the internet that is not your spouse, stop. It won't work. At some point, your kingdom will fall like the Philistines who invaded the, the other 11 tribes. It will fall. God, Spurgeon said this, loves his children too much to allow you to succeed at sin if you're his kid. And finally, just admit you really have no idea what God is doing in you, through you, around you, and because of you. Trust him beyond what you see and feel. Trust him. That's what David did. Acts 3, 19 and 20 says this. You get that? I'm not going to turn it yet. I'm going I'm to turn it in a moment and let you read it. Look at the screen. Now the next part. Uh, I, I am, uh, I don't know how to say this. I am not like those pastors who have it all together. I'm just like you. I don't. I uh, often know what God wants me to do. And since I don't like his ideas as much as I like my own, I often do what Julie tells me to do and blame her. It is, uh, it's stupid because every time I don't do his will, it doesn't work. Every time, 100% of the time. It doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't work. Um, and I look at this story, and I understand that as I read it, it sounds so clean and so David-y. You know, we got a little flag with David's star on it. You kind of look at it, and you kind of go, wow, what a great life. This was 37 years worth of pain to get him to the place where they finally had a capital city that was worth sitting in. And then there's 10 years left. That, that part of David's kingdom that we all hail as awesome, oh, except for the Bathsheba, oh, and, oh yeah, and then his son rapes his sister. All that, except for those things. David's life is difficult. But one thing David does that makes him different than any other character of Scripture or this pastor is he chooses God's way over his own. 
even though he still screws his family up in his, in his life. The question is not this morning whether or not you're perfect, for surely you're not. And if you're doubting that, I give your wife or your husband permission this afternoon to list your sins. <laughs> Never mind, that'll mess your marriage up. You know you're not. But God is a God of reconciliation even for his children who have messed themselves up. Run to him, my friends. Church, run to him. Run to him. If you're frustrated with his plan for your life, trust him. Run to him. And if your family right now is in the process of reaping what you've sown, repent. Beg your family to repent with you. Right the wrongs and take on your demons. And trust the Lord that he's at work even when you can't see it or feel it. Because that's what David did. Next week, we'll finish it because then it does spiritual reconciliation. And that's pretty cool. Let's close in prayer. Would you just take a moment, brothers and sisters, and talk with your father? I don't claim to know or even to have listed the sins you struggle with, but we all struggle with surrendering to God. And I have no doubt that in a text like this that God is speaking to some of you. I want you to talk to your father. Whatever he's telling you, respond. Repent if you need to repent. Ask him to tell you how to write your ship. Don't go before him. Follow him. Wait for his lead. Commit yourself to being patient. Lord Jesus, David was a deeply flawed man. But he, even in his great moments, Lord, we see the seeds of what will destroy his family. But one thing is true about him. He was a man who sought God's heart. So I ask you right now, Lord Jesus, help us to be people who seek the heart of God and are willing to courageously trust you even when we're scared. Thank you for showing us what it looks like. Now reconcile our families. In Jesus' name, amen. If you uh, would like